G'day. Hey, Mahar here. Just thinking about something that might resonate with someone out there. Healing and recovery. What's it all about? Where are you at with it all? Everybody's in their own place. Everybody learns in their own way. The shame that occurs to people, so, so very many people in childhood, right across a plethora of diagnoses or labels, you know. I, I find that incredible if you think about the level of brokenness in humanity. And how do we end up with this system of the diagnostic, statistical, manual, whatever number of the, quote, profession, unquote, of psychiatry in cahoots with Big Pharma. It's marketing. It's money. It's not about helping people. Maybe some good psychiatrists out there. But more to the point of that, in that whole way of pathologizing, pretty much as they move forward, with the big five-factor trait model, not really using the clusters anymore, that categorical way with, you know, the lists of human traits pathologized. The pathologizing of humanity to the point where to ask what is normal seems an abhorrent or even abnormal question in and of itself. Because, yes, one could ask, Has the world totally flipped upside down? I don't know. Or is it just spinning backwards? But the brokenness of humanity, so much of this begins for so many with this wounding in childhood, whether it is malice, cluster B, or it's not that exactly what you just don't get your emotional needs met in childhood and to whatever degree that goes everywhere from codependency probably hits on people who are really high in empathy and don't know how to seek harm reduction what some people would call quote malignant empathy unquote which don't agree with pathologizing empathy too like so much of humanity is already pathologized so This is just kind of some random thoughts, and I thought I'd try this to see if maybe it resonates with somebody. It's sort of like my way of writing only without the writing part, you know? So, but this brokenness, this this shame, so much that just really for human beings, for all of us, with the exception of a very few, I think, in the way that we're raised, in, in the way that we are... Just, just as a species, the way that human babies are born and how long, how many needs we have, how primal, how important attachment, attunement, all of that is so crucial. And who gets that to the healthy, really secure, attached, bonded level? I don't think the majority of people do. And that doesn't mean always it's some malice reason. Or, you know, I think it's just a really, you know, when it goes all well, at its best, it isn't perfect. At its best, this bonding with mom 
when you're an infant is is going to still probably leave some semblance of a little bit of something, whether it comes up to a wound or whether or not it interrupts attachment. It's it's still not, it's just not a perfect process. So if you think about it, so much of what we actually require and that we're born with brains still developing. And, you know, from from the first minute of life or second on, up until about age seven, you know, there's a lot of really important eight stages to early childhood development, if that's Erickson's eight stages. And the thing about that is that up until about seven, people are, if not otherwise, arrested development at two for BPD, arrested development between three to four or so, or maybe even to five, but uh, for NPD. But for, for everyone else, uh, and for, I'm not sure how it goes with those people because it would be different, but for everyone else, you know, kids, there's healthy narcissism in there. You know, three, four, really people who end up with NPD, they have arrested emotional development to get stuck in a narcissistic, what is a healthy narcissistic phase of development if you get through it, they get stuck there. And so up to the age of seven, we're essentially egocentric, and I don't mean that in a pathological way, that's not saying people are all narcissistic, but as children, we really need those caregivers called parents, and so many of us did, it doesn't matter. Maybe we're lucky and they feed us and they clothe us and we have a place to live, but there's nothing emotionally happening there. And so up to the age of seven, everything really is taken in in ways that there, there isn't logical thought that goes with it. There isn't really understanding. And to a very large degree, as I really wish I could remember who I heard say this, um, I was listening to something recently. Uh, might have been Robert Burney, actually, on codependence. But the thing is, he, he was saying, until we're about seven, we, we have this egocentric view, just this egocentric experience of life, that meaning that we are more in the center of it than not because we need the parents, etc. We have to reach out for validation. We, we don't know what to do for ourselves. And, and magical thinking. <clears throat> then around the age of seven, reasoning kicks in. And I like how he put it in this one thing I was listening to. He said, you know, like he has a grandchild. And he said his grandchild came up to him one day, right right, just, you know, after he turned seven, maybe like weeks or a few months later, and said to him, you know, like wouldn't have asked this question at six, wouldn't have asked it at five, four, three, but at seven. Said, how? So see, starting to reason is what happens to us at seven if, there isn't, you know, I had emotional arrested development before that myself, so, but the thing is, so he was asking, um, Robert Bernie's, um, sorry, grandson was asking him, so how is it, I remember asking this question actually myself, I don't know, when I was nine maybe, how is it that Santa Claus gets to every house in the world in such a short period of time, you know, like, when we start to ask questions that have never occurred to us before, when we really start to be inquisitive in terms of asking questions. 
So if you think about all of this and how many people really have shame as part of a core wound, if not the largest part of a woundedness that is going to go on to have a lot of relational implications, you know, into one's adulthood and become then that wounded inner child to one degree or another. So the, so, so the key thing I wanted to say here with this is, so we learn quite naturally through this evolving, you know, stage of these stages of childhood and up until seven before we're really, you know, thinking rationally and we're really starting to ask questions and process things in a higher thinking order, in a rationalizing way. We learn in those first seven years of life one way or another, and often very painfully with immense childhood woundedness. But I think even without that, what's learned is we are taught that we are separate. And then for people who do go through separation individuation at the age of two, like people who get arrested emotional development there, people go on to have BPD, they don't get through that. And you have to do that in therapy and you have to do that whatever age you are then. And it's extremely painful and harrowing. But so there's a real separation there. A separation occurs inside a self, etc. But for every one of us, regardless of which path or how well or not well childhood goes, society teaches us that we're separate. We're separate. You know, and in those first few years, like I said, I, well, for me, I didn't do separation individuation work in therapy until I was like 30 because, you know, of the woundedness that I had. But we're still taught that we're separate. After, after the struggle to individuate, separation individuation, from in the early stage of childhood development, if people get through that at two, and three, and then going through the other stages of early childhood development, which I'm not really here to explain all that stuff. I'm just trying to get to a point that I should make, right? Which is a lot of things come into play as we struggle for individuality and then all the way into our adolescence. There's that, especially in adolescence, right? That's where it's like, I am, you know, it's in between childhood and adulthood, obviously, right? And it's like, how are you supposed to navigate? We're not even helped with this, really. How are you supposed to navigate from being sort of like 10, 11, sort of 12, you know, like a kid? And then all of a sudden an adolescent and all the challenges that that brings with it, developmentally, school, etc. And it's that bridge to adulthood if something already didn't happen in, in childhood, it's going to keep you from... Lots of people go through their adolescence in ways that they wish later in life that they could have gone back and done it over because they kind of missed it for reasons of woundedness. But this 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 separation, this, this like we're being taught that we're separate, it's very, it's very covert. It's very like nobody says it doesn't get written on a board in school or anything like that. And, you know, if you feel attached to your family, and lots of us never get there with that from the beginning on, 
But we are taught that we are separate. And this is one of the tragedies, in a way, of just being human, never mind when things go really wrong on top of that in your childhood. This is why we have so much trouble realizing the universal, I believe, truth that we are really all not the same people, but one, you know, like a sea of humanity. And each one of us is but a raindrop in that ocean of humanity. And it takes each and every one of us to form that vast, majestic, powerful, and yet sometimes so tranquil, peaceful body of water. And then you might think to yourself, wow, you know, oneness. And I still believe there's a sense of oneness within self that's important to find. But oneness in the universe, we are all here with so much more in common than we have in, you know, that's different. And yet, the focus is sort of like, this is like a a macrocosm trauma bond in the sense that we can't be at peace or harmony with this planet. We are destroying it. We are destroying ourselves. And of course, I'm not doing it. You're not doing it. Next person. But people are doing it. So People. I don't know. Um, you know, elitist, corporate types, um, etc. Because everything has been made to be about money by those who seek, you know, power and fame and riches and money, 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 money. I don't believe we were ever intended to have the currency of money because that's just another big, everything is a big divide and separate. Everything is a big us versus them or we don't even know who the them is, but if we're, we, we might be part of the us, but we can't even get into this oneness of, of compassionate empathy beyond certain differences to even form the us. So I don't know if, if we're in the us group and they're them, how is it that they have any cohesiveness to be them? And in every area of life, in every walk of life, if you have six friends, if you work in an office, you know, you go into a life, there's always going to be, to some degree or other, whether obvious or not, an us versus them, or a feeling of being separate from a group. Or it could be as simple, I've experienced this a lot. It could be as simple as you're at a barbecue with friends, etc., and, and their friends, and, you know, a bunch of people, some occasion or something. And people are talking, 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 and maybe they're just, I've experienced it before, where there just wasn't anybody particularly talking about anything that really resonated with me, which was okay. I listened to other people. I said the odd thing. But it wasn't sort of, well, it wasn't captivating. It, it wasn't 
inviting or invigorating, but it wasn't rejecting or negative either. So the point is, anyway, how do, how do we each, as individuals, try to find ways in our lives every day to not only be mindful of how much we need each other in this world, not need necessarily to know each other, but to esteem and value each other across all the differences because we are so much more similar than we are different. Get separated by race. We get separated by religion. And now, now more than ever, it's gender also. It's country. It's ethnicity, origin, age, fat, thin, I don't know, happy, sad, somebody's mentally well out there, I assume, I don't know, mental illness. Um, There's all these divisions and little cubes, boxes to put people in with all the labels, with the humongous pathologizing of humanity. Uh, There were adrift in this choppy sea of humanity right now, in times it couldn't have been imagined ever before. And where is it all leading? To me, sometimes I think it's just this crescendoing cacophony of chaos. And then, what, it all blows up? Or maybe just the bees die and we all die because the food supply goes away. Can you imagine the anarchy, the chaos, the horror, if that was happening? And I don't know about you, but I've always been a city dweller. And you end up going to a grocery store where there's absolutely nothing in it. And then what do you do? And I don't want to be a doomsday person here by any means or any stretch of the imagination. But I just think it's important to think about these things. And maybe sometimes people get, well, we all get interested in what we're interested in, involved what we're involved in, and everybody has to work to put food on the table. And everything else in life, right? Because of this crazy currency of money. Now I don't want to get all biblical on anybody here. But it does fascinate me that in the Christian Bible, it says, you know, that Jesus said that money is the root of all evil. Not that I'm going to go on about that. I'm just, or or, or the, the, the Christian reference of the Bible, but... It does fascinate me as more and more everything is flailing out of control in what might we might call a pathological way of just the way the world is, not putting that just on people. And I don't know, money is the root of all evil kind of makes sense to me really because just think what it might have been like to have lived in times where people lived on farms and people had to grow or or you know whatever with animals and they had to get create get their own food or go all the way back to the hunter gatherers right where the men were uh, hunting but usually or not usually, but more often than not, the men wouldn't necessarily come back with anything from the hunt. And it was a woman's gathering of, you know, fruits, nuts, whatever was around that actually 
sustain them through that period of time. The point being, though, I don't know about you, but have you ever just thought about... I used to think this when I was a kid, walking to and from school, because we're always such long walks, and I never wanted to be... I didn't want to be home, and I didn't want to be in school. I loved to learn, but I just found it, like, was, like, a lot of times was just stressful, because I was such a lost kid, um, a wounded kid. But I had all these thoughts, you know, um, still do, obviously. But um, on the way to school, I remember going by, you know, house after house after house. And I just thought to myself, ah, this is puzzling. Like, so everybody's, like, got to be in their own separate little behind these brick walls. And I, I was just thinking about, it was an interest. I don't know. I don't get back on it. It's pretty boring, probably. But it was interesting or fascinating to me because... It was really my expression, perhaps projecting out even, uh, unbeknownst to me back then, my own isolation, the the many, many ways I was walled off from myself, uh, the scapegoat of the family of origin, etc. Just, you know, always seeking to get away, get away, you know, go to my room, shut the door, be left alone, just get away from them, get away from them, get away from them. And yet on the way to school, I was like thinking about all the separateness of all these houses and all these people that would live in these houses. And ah, there's probably something related there. But what am I really rambling on about? Just really thoughts about how so many people are focused, understandably, after being hurt and traumatized. But so many people are so focused on people that hurt them and not enough on themselves and this reality of separateness versus oneness and how does a universal oneness in the sea of humanity way that I'm describing it does that leave out everybody who's got a lot of mental health challenges what what do we do with that? Because maybe with some exceptions, it's difficult. But what about the intellectually challenged people? What about people with different kind of handicaps? What about people with just different kind of challenges? Would there be room in a modern day universal oneness type of for lack of a better way to put it, a humongous arc to set sail through the sea of humanity in a pioneering way, in a new way, in a maybe throwback, not going forward way, going back to something more sustainable, to something that might have had some sanity to it, to an easier, calmer way of life, to a way of life to respect what's left of this planet to try to rejuvenate it to stop the daily dying out extinction of one species of plant, animal or or other things Uh, like it's just astronomically fast how this is all happening or to stop one polar ice cap from melting for just a little bit longer till we can figure something out Where is the oneness in all of this? 
And I don't mean to be all woo-woo here or religious, but there's something in the spiritual. There's something I believe we all have a soul, and I believe that we all have souls that are familiar with one another in some way. And that, so whether one is a Christian or a Muslim or a Jewish person or many of the other religions, Hindu or the word I was trying to pronounce, um, I don't know, on a live stream or something, Zoroastrianism, um, just something I remember from studying religions, etc. I don't remember much about it. But so much of the discord of the world is beyond petty. And so, you know, ask yourself if you were in charge for a day or if you could change or chart the course of what we should do from here with everything in mind, what would you choose? Who would you choose to put on your ship to sail the sea of humanity? Who would you choose? Is there a group of people you would leave out? And if so, why? Challenge yourself to think about that. How would you like to see the world to be more in tune with nature and that we could maybe stop the extinction of all these animals and insects and plants and but things that are so vital for our survival how do we get off this drowning i don't know how do we get off a planet that is actively being murdered every day anyway that's that's not too too happy a thought is it so really I guess going back maybe not to the original thought that I had but as I'm in trying hoping these things are interweaving what could we each possibly look for inside spiritually in a mindful way to connect with nature to connect with each other, to connect with the big universal beyond each and every one of us, whatever that is, and how that brings us all together. How can we let go of the focus on the differences? All of this in the macrocosm of life comes back to the other question that's so important to so many, if you want to heal, if you want to know more than you do right now, and I don't mean know more like as in knowledge or quotes or something, I mean in your heart, in your soul, in yourself, something more peaceful, something flowing, something easy and relaxing, something just that is easy to be with in a mindful way. Can you not see, or can you try to see, that the abuser and the abused, not sanctioning any abuse, by the way, are going to stay in this sort of like cosmic, karmic yin-yang of cause and effect until the person who's been abused 
in seeking to heal and grow and, and know more about themselves and hopefully much more beyond that needs to let go. And you don't just let go overnight, but you need to really work a healing process. You need to grieve. You need to let it go. You need to let them go. You need to not focus on them. You need to not think about them. And that doesn't mean that there isn't maybe some place for them in the sea of humanity, but that's to be left to a a whole different kind of feeling or thinking place. Because I think the really important message I want to impart here is it's important to think. It's important to know what you're thinking. It's important to care what you're thinking about. It's important to challenge when you're thinking in ways that really aren't helpful to yourself, really aren't helpful to humanity, and to try to find commonality First in yourself, a peace and harmony, a healing, a letting go of the person who's hurt you, traumatized you so badly, a letting go of the focus on them to focus on you and know you better. I guess I just continue to see so many people holding on to so much Not that I'm some guru or perfect about this at all. But I just know that I have, like, I don't know, some kind of practice readiness to to just go my own way or make it clear to somebody that, hey, done. When they are disrespectful, toxic, cluster B, whatever the case may be, and, I, and my question really for you to think about, because maybe you're more in a place like I am. You know your boundaries more. You're not going to apologize when you set one or when you take action on one. Um, as I've had to do recently three or four times in my life, but they weren't, you know, I still have close friends. It was, it was one person I'd known for quite a while, and another one was more like I'd known for three or four years, but on an acquaintance level mainly. And things of that nature, and things happened. And so, you know, I I tolerated a lot for a while. It wasn't that high of a bar of negativity or sort of what it became um, when it became more toxic and then crossed my boundaries. And then I tried to express that in a very kind and respectful way um, that wasn't reciprocated. And then it was just sort of like they wanted some drama or they wanted to fight. I didn't want to, so it was over. So I guess that brings me just maybe not in a circle at all, but maybe some windy way to leaving you with the question of, I guess it's more than one question, but the main question of what is it Ask yourself this because it will be a question that you will live your way into the answer if you don't know right now. What do you think is blocking you? What do you think is holding you back? What is it that keeps you from letting go? Whatever that stage of letting go is facing you right now. Letting go of a relationship. Letting go of a parent. Letting go of a sibling. Letting go of a friend. Letting go of somebody who's toxically abusing you. 
so that you can focus on you. What is the most challenging aspect of that for you that's preventing you or blocking you from making a choice that you so deserve to make? And then I would add, and even when we do that, Anybody that we've experienced in an up-close and personal way, whether it be horrible, horribly abusive, traumatizing, they are going to be a part of our history. But there's something unique about that for each person, which is that I can say, just as an example through my own experience, how wonderful it is even with all that I've been through, abuse, etc., family of origin, and, you know, a lot of other things, to have let it go, to have let them go, and to have grieved. I'm still grieving for reasons most people know, but I'm still in a grief process right now even. But, but having let go of so much from the past is to know a calm, mindful, comfortable, confident boundary is to find and know self that way. And it's so worth the struggle to find you, to know you, to esteem you for yourself. It is such a sacred journey and perhaps with more people doing that and finding this coming back to self or finding self for the first time, knowing that place inside of you is home. Maybe for the first time, you come home to the self. You make peace with yourself. You stop focusing on the abuser, the cluster B, the wit, and you focus inside to heal, to change, to grieve, to grow, to let all the pain, the anger, and the hurt over time go. Because then, it's like be the change you want to see in the world, as Gandhi said, because each person getting their own home of self in order and in a peaceful state and in a reasonably state a reasonable state of flow that's what's going to ripple across the sea of humanity and that might be the very thing that each one of us doing our part with that that that, that out of that might come those who come forward with solutions and ways to reverse an exponentially exploding cluster B world. And maybe, just maybe, when we all stop giving them energy, they could not be in such power centers of chaos and running things in circles 
and the chase to the root of all evil of money. But all the hope for the world in the world, it first rests inside of you, inside of me, inside of the next person, the next person, and on and on to seven point some odd billion, approaching eight billion people on this very crowded, hacking, coughing, not well planet. We have only the one thing that we can, I don't like the word control, but flow with and have agency over and keep the house of it in order, and that is self. What if we each and every one of us, or most of us, could just do that for ourselves and for coming together in a oneness in humanity? And yet, having said that, there's nothing but competition to try to help you on YouTube. That's crazy, you know? So... There's so much that we have to work at, but it's only by each person realizing what each person could take in and be at peace and flow with so that more and more people are not going to be engaged by those who are still, maybe, just resonating a whole lot lower energy vibration, we don't want to judge that, for whatever that reason might be. Anyway, I hope something about this little rambly thing of mine made some sense to you. So I'll leave you in the, with a parting message of, first think of yourself and healing yourself and focusing on yourself in that healthy way to heal. Letting go of them, the, the hurtful ones, the, the ones that angered, hurt, traumatized you. Think of that self in you as a world waiting to be born. And how if each one of us rebirths the world inside of ourselves and knows that self as home and gets into the flow that's how each one of us can truly, in a meaningful way, be the change that I think more, maybe, you know, a high, high percentage of us want to see for ourselves, for each other, and for the world. It's all about letting go to learn how to mindfully flow.